you're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and on today's episode, we have a most talented individual. He is a songwriter, a multi-instrumentalist. He's got a new book out called Life Behind Bars. We're going to get to all of it, but first got to introduce him, Mr. Jack DiPietro. Jack, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you, by the way. I, you know, we haven't seen each other for a while. I mean, yeah. you did come to that gig the other night, yeah. mine, which was yeah, very nice. Yeah, it sounded nice. great. But it's been a while. Uh, I don't think we ever really worked together on music or anything like no, we that. We just played the same venues for many years. We've played the same venues. We've been aware of each other. We'll get to all that. I'd like to ask musicians about the, their early life. Uh, I know that you've lived in the Hudson Valley for 30 years. You have a place in Red Hook, right? Where yes. Where you live. But you're from Nyack originally, right? Originally, yeah. Born and raised. Born and raised in Nyack. When you were that age or very young, say pre-teen, do you have a, a time period where, you know, that light bulb went off and you said, this is what I want to do? This yeah, is... I come from a large family, so there was a lot of music being played in my home. I had five brothers and sisters. My oldest brother was 10 years older than me. So he was playing Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley at the same time my sisters were playing The Supremes and that whole Motown thing. And then my brother, who was just a few years older than me, was, was listening to folk music. And then I had a brother who was a few years older than him who was into big band music, Sinatra and the big bands. Remember, because at that time in the early 60s, it wasn't that long ago that Sinatra and big band music was the music of the day. That was pop music. Yeah. So um, I got a real cross-section of music in my home. That's pretty much where it all started. And do you feel all of those influences kind of made you the musician that you are? I do. I do. But I really gravitated toward the horns and the big band and the Sinatra sound. That's that's kind of what I did. And that's how I ultimately ended up in the jazz world. Well, by the time you were college age, you went off to Berkeley School for Music. Yes. Yes. What was your major there? I started out as an instrumental performance major as a guitar player. Guitar player? Yeah, only because there was... 1,500 guitar players and 3,500 drummers. I also played the drums, but I thought I would have a better chance being a guitar player, even though I was more proficient at the drums. I soon switched over to um, music education, so I wanted to get an education degree. What was your first kit, do you remember? My very first kit was a Sears and Roebuck kit that Uh, I got out of the catalog. So you were really young. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, your first kind of legitimate kit. My first legitimate kit was a um, Slingerland kit. Wooden? Yeah, that belonged uh, to my teacher. I had a teacher named Buddy Christian who played with a lot of big bands back in the day. I took drum lessons from him when I was about 12. Buddy Christian. And, I, and he had an old kit that he sold me along the way. He's know. got a great jazz name, you know. Yeah, Buddy Christian. I mean, I think of Buddy Rich, Charlie Christian. You combine the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in Berkeley. Did you have to audition? Yeah, you did have to audition because they wanted to see your level of reading. Right. And I remember my audition very specifically. Gary Burton gave me the audition. He was hmm. a great vibraphonist. Wow. And you had to play a blues and show that you could understand the form and you had to trade fours and do that type of thing. And you had to read a chart so you know when it was your turn to solo and play your fours. So you have a degree in music. In the book, I talk about that what happened the very last semester. Uh, when I was at Berkeley, my father had a heart attack. He was running the bar. My parents had a restaurant, bar and restaurant in Nyack. And um, my father had a heart attack and my mother was going to sell the bar. So I came home to help out. I never went back to school to finish up because my father didn't recover. So you never did get to finish? Oh, no, I never got my degree. Wow. Now, I know this is all in the book, Life Behind Bars. You have it right here. Looks great. You got this new cover on it that you were telling me about earlier. I want to really get into talking about this book. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet myself, 
but I really want to. Before we do anything, though, I'd love it if our listeners can get a chance to hear some of your music, hear what you sound like. Can we play something? Yeah, absolutely. You have something in mind we can play? Well, maybe we could start with the big band, which was where it all started when I just finished Berkeley. Uh, I formed a band with Danny Stiles, who was a trumpet player. I met him in Nyack because he lived in Nyack and he used to come to the bar and drink like a lot of other musicians did after their gigs. A lot of them played shows in New York and they would come to our bar because it was just on their way home. So I met Danny. We talked about, you know, putting this band together and I had some very good contacts at Berkeley that I was able to form the rhythm section. He got all the, the horn section with guys that he did studio work with and we just put it together and we just all assembled at my club hmm. on a Wednesday night. And for music, he knew a lot of arrangers that would literally bring in charts and we would sight read the charts because we were all readers at that time and good readers. So what you're going to hear is me sight reading a chart with a 16-piece big band. 16-piece. I was going to ask you how big. 16-piece big band. What's the tune? It's called Good Old Boy. Good Old Boy. Jack DiPietro. Listen to this. Thank you. 
Jack, I introduced you as a multi-instrumentalist. I know you play a lot of things. I was aware of your guitar playing and your drumming. What else do you play? Well, I, I play bass on all of my tracks, pretty mm -hmm. much, on all my a lot of my recordings. And um, I've also recorded on harmonica. I play a, a pretty pretty decent blues harmonica. Hmm. And on, on maybe three or four cuts, I've recorded on my on my records. Any keys? Oh, yeah, I play keyboards. I, forget, yeah, almost, I, th I thought forgot. you did. Yeah, I play piano. Yeah. <laughs> So pretty much all the main instruments you play. Yeah, the rhythm section stuff. Anything that you blow into? Not really. Kazoo, maybe. You okay. Know. <laughs> I mean, harmonica. <laughs> harmonica counts. But, yeah, harmonica. That's you know, about it. No, not exactly no a woodwind. No but... reeds, no, no woodwinds, no brass. No okay. Reeds. Let's talk about this book. But uh, that being said, I did play flute in my college orchestra. So I do have oh. that skill. Yeah. Do you play a lot of stuff? I played the flute in the college orchestra. I'm sure it's all in this book. This is a heavy book. How many pages is this? It's 200 plus. 200 plus. It's hard to write a book, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it basically just started as a, um, a memoir for my children. I wanted my girls to know what my life was like before they were born. Mm -hmm. And that's how the whole thing started. How long did it take you to write? It took about a decade. A 10 years to write this? To put it all together, yeah. Wow. It feels like it's about five pounds. Well, there's a lot of information in there, and yeah. it covers, a, it spans four decades. From what I understand, your parents owned a bar in Nyack. Eventually, you took the bar over, right? Yes. And uh, you met a lot of musicians you ended up working with later in that bar because they would come in after their gigs and, and stop in and... I imagine you got to know a lot of them. I, I've heard a lot of rumor. You're you're a very rumored person because, <laughs> because I've heard a lot of rumors uh, throughout this interview. I'm going to mention some of them. You can confirm or deny okay, these rumors. One of them is that in this bar that you owned, you met the jazz great pianist Bill Evans. Is that true? Yes, he's on the front cover. That's Bill this and is... I. Bill and I standing in in the front doorway there. I mean, there is no jazz fan in the world that doesn't love Bill Evans, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Arguably, he's the greatest jazz pianist that ever lived. I mean, there's an argument for that, especially post-1955, I'll right. say, right. because we got Fats Waller to contend with and, uh, and Duke Ellington. But I'll tell you what, he's, he is one of those guys. He's one of those great innovators with his great voicings and... Uh, passed away way too early, and I love Bill Evans. What were your experiences with Bill Evans? Bill was one of those guys that I was petrified to to play with. I didn't play with Bill. Bill played at my club. Ninety nine percent of the other musicians that that are in this book, I actually did did a Friday and Saturday night with. But Bill had a very select trio that he, he's always working with the trio. Yeah. And it's always a different group of guys. You know, if you trace it through the years, he's had a million different drummers. He's had a million different bass players. You sure. Know? But when he has his set trio, he works with that trio. And the way most of the people got hired at my bar was through a grapevine, basically, a pipeline, where I would hire one band, and then a member of that band would say, hey, I have a band. And then the next week, that person would come back with their band. So I hired this pianist named Joanne Burkeen, who was from up this area at the time. She was living, I think she was living in Woodstock at the time. She came in with Steve Swallow and some other very good people. Wow. And her agent was a woman named Helen Keene. And Helen said to me, would you like Bill Evans? I can get you Bill Evans. <laughs> and after I crapped myself, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, I would love to get Bill Evans. So we set it up and Bill came and did a weekend. 
I mean, Bill Evans. Some people understand that. And some people don't. I mean, Bill Evans. Yeah, to me, he's that's like, like quintessential. I mean, jazz. that's that's like Miles or anybody else. I mean, I mean, where he was in his life was not a good time. He was he had declared bankruptcy. He's lost his relationship. I mean, I don't know all too much about it, but he apparently told my wife the whole story. She could give you, the, you know, the details. Well, where is she? She should be on the she show. She should be on the show, but she right. drove him home that night because he had lost his license. He was in a very bad state. I wasn't wow. supposed to pay him. I paid him cash. And when she drove him home, he went had her drive down to the city, and he copped heroin that mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. And he was dead 24 hours later. <clears throat> he and, was amazing. And unfortunately, you know, like a lot of jazz artists and musicians in general and people in general, they, they get involved in hard drugs or whatever. I, I heard a story about Bill Evans. He had uh, hit a nerve or something with a needle, and he had to play at the Village Vanguard for a week, and he ended up playing both parts with one hand. I don't know how that's possible. But if anyone could do it, he could. Yeah. I'm, I was very familiar with Bill because when I was at Berkeley. I went seven nights in a row to watch him play. And I was a real student of Bill Evans. I loved him and I loved his music. And at that time, it was wintertime, he came in in a wool coat with a scarf and he sat at the piano with his coat on and he never introduced the band and he never spoke to the audience. By the time he came to us, it was summertime and he had a flowered shirt on. He was talking to everybody. He went back up and played after the gig was over sat at the piano with a waitress sitting on the piano bench, and he proceeded to play a medley of Beatles songs. Beatles songs? Beatles songs, of all things, huh. that we all got to hear. I wish I had a tape Unbelievable. back then. I think of Waltz for Debbie. I think of Conversations with Myself. He played all those. He played all those. I mean, what a great artist he was. Yeah. So the rumors are true. You you yeah. knew Bill Evans. Yeah, we got to talk a lot on you know over those two nights, and then my wife drove him back to the city, and they had an extensive conversation that was very personal. And she shared that with me, but mm-hmm. it was a long time ago. I can't, you know, all the details I can't remember. Ah, some things are sacred. What can you yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, it was personal. So where can somebody find this book and read it, Jack? It's on Amazon.com, mm-hmm. and um, it's called Life Behind Bars. There's about eight other books with that same title, so you're going to have to sift through all the authors that have done time <laughs> and talk about <laughs> their jail time. This is not about that. This is about musical bars and owning a bar. It's a double entendre. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about the book in a while. Let's talk about songwriting, because I know you're a good songwriter. How how many albums of your material do you have? I have about seven. About seven albums. That I've done. Not bad. And you have another one coming out at some point. It's not mixed right now, you said. Yes. When can we expect that? I would say sometime in the fall. Mm Mm-hmm. Will probably be the next time I Is that your seventh album? Yeah. It's a lot of albums. I want to talk about a few songs because I find some of these really fascinating. Manipulation is one of them. Manipulation, I mean, it's kind of a rap song, for lack of a better word, although it's got a really cool groove in the background. Sounds like you probably have some good players. Or It's maybe, all me. That's all you? It's all me. Man. The whole track. Love the guitar playing on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, all, it's all great. It's but all me. But this rapping, it sounds like you know a lot about the the commodities markets and housing markets and all these well, markets it sounds like it's all financial yeah stuff. i was in the real estate business right. for a while and um but that song and that video was based specifically on a book okay that was written by andrew ross sorkin of the new york times he was a writer for the new york times and he put out a book called too big to fail 
I know you know the title. Yes, absolutely. It was, it was the number one bestseller. Too big to fail. I read that book, and ninety percent of what I'm singing and talking about is verbatim. That's plagiarism. I know it is. It's in its best, <laughs> purest form. John Lennon did it. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah, you know, but it was a story that I think had to be told to people that normally wouldn't read that book. I mean, that's some story, though. Uh, the way you put it in your song, Manipulation, you, it's. I think you told me it was, what, seven and a half minutes long? Yes. That's a long song. I listened to the whole thing, and I'm like, this is... How long is this song? It's about Verse, 11 pages of lyrics. And there's no space. There's <laughs> no. there's no space. I mean, it's I all lyrics. I had to sing it live. It had to, it had to be done in one track. Did you memorize it or read it? No, I had to read it. I couldn't imagine anyone memorizing it. No, it's almost impossible to memorize it all. But by now, I, I have it because I've done it live. Um, you know, I had a music track just made and wrapped it live. So Amazing. Yeah. It's a cool tune. Thank you. Uh, there's another song I found uh, kind of moving. If I took music out of my life, where does that come from? I mean, I, I I get it. I get it because as a songwriter myself, I'm always analyzing what would have happened if I didn't go into music or what if I didn't have it now or where would I be? What would I do? What was your inspiration behind that song? The inspiration was frustration, you know, looking for gigs all the time, you know, rehearsing for gigs that don't pay much. Um, just everything a musician has to go through, having a beat up old van, having all this gear that you're constantly schlepping around. And I said, what if I just took that all out of my life? What would it do? Would it free me up? But then I say at the end that, no, I wouldn't be happy because music is who I am. That's my life. So I'm re-recording that song right now with a whole new groove and new, a couple new lines. I wouldn't change the groove too much because one thing that I noticed by listening to it is you're a great guitar player. I mean, the guitar playing in that song and a couple other funky tunes that you've written, I'm like, this, this is very sophisticated. This is really good guitar playing. It doesn't sound like a song that would have that vibe about it. A title, when you look at the title, you know. Uh, there was another one too, oh, What I Believe. Uh, oh, that's a brand new song. How did you even hear that? I got my ways, Jack. I, I don't know how you. Could, I can't reveal all of my secrets. Even hear that. <laughs> I'm looking through your window at night. I got, I got, I just beware. Pull down your shades. Yeah, at what night. I That's believe is, I brand, is a brand new song. So I don't know how you even heard that. Song. It's a great tune. They don't even know what they don't know. I use that all the time. <laughs> I use that all the time. That's great. My refrain. The reason why I bring this up. Not only is it a really nice song, but you have a video to it that I saw. Explain this video. An old friend who was one of my bartenders named Joey Preddy, he had a, a bad accident that paralyzed him about 10 years ago. He had a fall in a new home that he had and fell down a flight of stairs. He ended up paralyzed, so all of us got together at Rockland Community College and we did a benefit concert so that he could get treatment and get some of this equipment that he needed that helped, would help him walk. And we raised a good amount of money at that concert. That was the song I did. That was one of the two songs I played at that show. Hmm. That's all the video is, is that performance, right? Yeah. The recording is so good. I thought you were like lip syncing to the actual album version or something well, like that. Well, my recollection is that Mark Moss put the original track to the video, put the studio track oh, to the video. I think that's what I heard because that's exactly you what have it good sounds ears. like. Yeah. All this talk about your songs, Jack, made me want to hear another one. Maybe something off of one of your albums. Yeah, um, I think Poor Shalaka. Poor Shalaka is a song that you're not sure when you first listen to it who it's about. But by the time you get three quarters of the way through it, you realize it's about my dog, which is actually my daughter's dog. 
Her name is Portia. Ah. And I call her Portia Laka, which is the flower, because you know I like to garden. So Portia I Laka. I nicknamed her Portia Laka. And I wrote that song about her. And the opening line is, she wakes, up, wakes me up in the middle of the night. When she's got to go, she's got to go, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about a dog. Yeah. <laughs> the instrumentation and the musicians on that are really just stellar. I had Jesse Murphy on bass, who plays with Nora Jones presently. Yeah. And uh, he's been in... I know who that is. Yeah, he's been in the Brazil Girls, a lot of, a lot of well-known bands. He also played with John Schofield and Adam Deitch. They had a European tour together. Hmm. So Jesse's a great bass player. Jesse played bass on that. Porsche Laka. That, so this is like your Martha, my dear. Essentially. Kind of, yeah. In a way. That's Paul McCartney's dog. Paul's dog, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to it. Porsche Laka. This is Jack DePietro. Thank you. 
trio yeah you did a lot of work with him didn't you the biggest gig we did was at the bottom line with um allison kraus and roseanne cash that's a good show yeah that was a good show i was playing kungas with him allison kraus on the bill yeah love her yeah she's a superstar now i mean you know yeah but she was in a bus she had had just formed union station that group oh yeah and she came in with her on a tour bus and it all came out of omega that's how it all happened Oh, really? I was taking a songwriting class with John at Omega. Oh, I didn't know he taught there. Yeah, and when I found out he was a Kingston Trio former member, Mm. I was completely blown away because that was one of my favorite groups growing up. One of my brothers was a huge Kingston Trio fan. So, you know, we hit it off right away. I knew a lot about his background and stuff. Alan Pepper still running the bottom line at that time? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. That was a a cool place. That was a great place to play. Uh, Warren Bernhard, you've done a lot of work with him, I know, right? I've actually heard him play on your stuff. Yeah, Gary Burke set that up. That was through Gary. That was the Golden Rules. We recorded that at the clubhouse. Yeah, Gary's name comes up on the show often and has produced a lot of stuff for me. And I learned tremendous amount from Gary. Talented guy. He's Uh, a wonderful individual. He he is. Yeah. He really is. Not, Not just a great drummer. But a great producer, a great horn arranger. Kind of. no, he took the job very seriously. And he did. He arranged uh, a lot of the strings, lines, and stuff. I could have done it myself. But Gary lent his expertise. He hired the musicians. He brought uh, Graham Maybe, who was playing with Joe Jackson at the time, yeah. for, to play bass. John Platania. Yeah, John Platania. Joel Diamond. And his, Chuck Loeb was my oh. roommate from college. So Chuck, oh. I brought Chuck in on the session. Okay. It's the part of the Gary Burke sound, as I often say, yeah. is... He'll bring in those same people. He was always there an hour or two before I even got to the studio, and he'd stay an hour and a half after I went home. He he was a dedicated oh, man. Oh yeah, he takes it very seriously. He does, and he. We've done some results. live stuff together, Gary. We played the Turning Point together. Oh, that's a good club Piermont. to play. Okay, this next name on my list. This might be a stretch. Keith McCartney. Okay, here's the rumor. The rumor is Paul McCartney's cousin. I have no idea whether this is even close to true. Yeah, Keith is his oldest cousin. Is is McCartney's oldest cousin? Yeah. Okay. I, apparently, he lived or passed through Nyack or something. Met you, invited you to Liverpool for Christmas, and you got to hang out with Paul McCartney. Is am I on the right track here? Yeah, yeah. That's all true. Yeah. All right, you got to tell that story. Come on. Come <laughs> well, on, that's unbelievable. It wasn't Christmas. It was New Year's. Oh, so just okay. Just to straighten the story, and Keith and I were neighbors, and. When I bought this house in Valley Cottage, which is just a little hamlet, you know, a couple miles from Nyack, the very first day I went to get my mail, I noticed the mailbox next to me said McCartney on it, spelled like Paul McCartney. So I said, that just got my curiosity. So I just sure. walked down the street and knocked on the door and said, and he came out with this Liverpool accent. <laughs> I said, by any chance, are you related to Paul McCartney? Yeah, he's my first cousin. So we got to be friends. I had a pool at that house, a really nice pool. I had a spread. 
like a cabana pool. You know, I was making money back in the day. And every time a McCartney would come to visit Keith, they'd come to my house swimming. So I met all the cousins. I met the aunts and the uncles. Wow. I met all the nieces and nephews. I was like a family member. So it was only natural that when the big party came, which Paul, he didn't host it. His cousin Ian hosted this party every year since the Beatles formed. Ian, who was worked at the Postal Service, had this party. And Paul had never missed this party. So Keith said, you want to meet Paul? Come to this party. It's a New Year's party. So I went. And of course, I met him and hung out with him. We drank together. You know, I poured him Jack Daniels. It went on. I, I went back several times and went to the same party. And Paul was always there. So you met him several times? I met him many times, many times. He, did, knows, did, he knows me. Yeah. Did, did that? Did he that... knows me. Which is nice. That's so nuts. <laughs> yeah. Did it ever go away that when you're standing talking to him, that Paul McCartney-ness, that like, that's Paul McCartney. Like, no, no. It, it can't no. ever go away. I had to write it not. down in my diary. <laughs> that night, like every time after it, I would write everything we talked about, you know, everything he said, everything we did. It was just like I was pinching myself saying I can't. But he's like the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Well, sure. When he walks in the room, everything stops, and whatever he wants to talk about, you talk about. Right. So I'm not going to sit there and ask him questions. Right. You know, yeah. What was it like playing with the Beatles? What was it like? You know, you have to wait right. for him. You'd be like Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for years, he didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about it. He, was, he mourned John Lennon for a long time. Yeah. It took him, only in recent times, in the last 10 years, has he really started talking about the past and the Beatles and that type of thing. He would never talk about that. So do you have them like on speed dial? No, I don't have them. I have an address, you know. I know where he is. I know where to find him. And, That's good enough. Let's go. Yeah, and through um, and through his cousins. And I don't have a musician relationship with him. Although I did one time on a New Year's party get to sing with him. One time. It was probably about 10 o'clock and people were just all coming into this very small flat outside of Liverpool. They started singing the Billy Joel song. It was on the radio at the time where they do the doo-wop thing at the beginning. Whoa, for the longest time. Yeah. And they're all singing, whoa, 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 for the longest time. And Di says to me, Jackie, take the lead, knowing that I would know Billy Joel. <laughs> so I take the lead. And as I'm starting to sing the lead, Paul walks in the door carrying a, sick, a case of beer. <laughs> and I look over and he goes, carry on, mate. You know, like you keep singing. And he starts singing the background to me. Oh, man. <laughs> Which was the coolest thing wow. ever. Wow. <laughs> what did you do this weekend? I sang with Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fun. That Paul was... McCartney sang with me. Yeah, Paul yeah, McCartney was, sang with that me. That was memorable. Well, he didn't know the words, so that was memorable. <laughs> that was memorable. I, I hate to move on to other rumors because this one was really good. Oh, you big, like grappa, don't you? Big time. I, yeah, I make it. I, you make grappa. Yeah. I'm going to have to try that sometime because I'm one of the few people I even know who is a fan of grappa. How did you become a fan of Grappa? Uh, when I went to Sicily, I uh, learned all about Grappa. When I got back, I realized that unless you get stuff imported, you're not going to get great Grappa, unless you make it homemade. <clears throat> yeah, which, I don't distill I don't it. Do. I don't have a distillery. I don't literally make the Grappa. I infuse the Grappa. You infuse it? Yeah, with herbs that I grow. So you buy the Grappa? I buy just generic Grappa, infuse it for 40 days and 40 nights with a, a family ah. recipe. And then when it comes out, it's this medicinal tincture that is just the most incredible thing. You got a stiff neck, you got a toothache, you got a backache, you, whatever. It's, it just cures all. It's wonderful. Or you just want a good night's sleep. And you oh, only, yes. You really need a shot of it like that. I make, I infuse three bottles a year. That's it. Wow. I almost bought some grappa and had it on the show. I'm like, let's have a shot of grappa. You know, 
Jack, you're quite a good tennis player too, aren't you? I was. You were. You don't play now. Well, I don't play enough. It's tennis is all about how often you play. How far did you get? I got to the states. Really? Yeah. So I won you... all the section nines and all the county tournaments and stuff like that. I won all the section eights. Did you? Yeah. No. Oh. No. That's how I got out oh. of the service. <laughs> um, yeah, I love tennis. Tennis is. I talk about tennis in in this book a lot. Yeah. Tennis was my way out of the ghetto. You know, I lived in I lived in a poor house. You know, we were poor. And tennis was, to me, was the way that I could get out into another social strata, you know? Mm-hmm. What do you plan on doing when the album comes out? Do you play this stuff out locally? Yeah, I did I did last Friday night, like you did, mm-hmm. played under the tent. And I did a lot of my new material. I played about six new songs. Well, you were, what, in Red Hook? Yeah. I didn't know that. Last, last Friday. Last Friday. I would have tried to come out. So, yeah, and then the following Monday, I played in the Make Music New York Festival, which is just street venues, you know, you play on the on the sidewalk. Yeah. And I got sponsored by the Economic Development Corp of Riverdale. How often do you play out? Not a lot. I go through spurts, you know, where mm-hmm. where my hands are able, I have very bad arthritis. So if I'm feeling okay, I'll, I'll try to book some gig, but you know, you gotta book them down the road so you can't always just... Will you put a band together to promote the album when it's done? I don't think so. No? No. How come? It's just too much effort right now. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it, but our time is already oh. quickly ebbing away. I'd like to play something else before we got to get out of here. What can we play? Yeah, let's play Looking for a World. Great. I love that song. I heard that, I think, for the very first time last night. Love to have that on the show. Jack DiPietro, Looking for a World. Hit it. La, 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 la. La 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 la
we have is each other yeah, yeah, yeah. And our dreams And our hopes Of what could be What could be Yeah, 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 yeah Well, it's a real It's a real Very nice, Jack. Great to see you. Thank you so much for coming and talking uh, yeah, about Rick, your career. Yeah, Rick, it's been a lot of fun. And the book, I, I, I'm going to find a way to read this because this is sounds like it's fascinating. Uh, the book is Life Behind Bars. Please go out and pick it up. Once again, you can pick it up where? Amazon? On Amazon. Good luck with it. And good luck with the new album when you release it. I'll be listening. Super. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Josie Grant. Click subscribe, people. We need more subscribers and followers. Come back next time, and I promise we'll have another artist from right here in the Hudson Valley or beyond, and we'll see you then. (laughs) 